Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining today. I'm actually really looking forward to this conversation because in a past life, when I was 18 years old, I first thought like this point in my life, I would actually be working in the music industry. I got really involved in concert promotion. I booked a show at a small local venue at the end of the summer to kind of celebrate the end of that. And it turned into me working at small clubs and venues and working at a mid-sized venue here in Virginia for quite a few years. And had a few bad experiences, got out of the industry, and that was that. But it was such a fun time of my life and, you know, little sleep, tons of music, lots of great people. But if there's ever been an industry that's been impacted more than craft beer, it literally has to be the live entertainment industry. So it's been really tough, you know, one, watching craft beer the past year and you guys all being resilient and being, you know, where you are today still surviving. But the music industry has just had a rough year. I'm really looking forward to that getting better in the coming months and beyond. But let's start off with some basic intros. Betsy, you're up. Tell everybody a little bit about what you do now and what you did in the music industry. So now I am the uh, owner and head brewer at Lady Justice Brewing in Aurora, Colorado. And uh, I've been working on that for, uh, we started we started that in 2015, 2016. Um, and then in the music world, I was a um, banjo player and a guitar player and a singer-songwriter for a number of years. I haven't really done it much, obviously, in the past year because um, even band practice is hard to do, <laughs> you know. Uh, so uh, that's really taken a backseat over the last year. But um, I've been in a handful of bands and then done some solo work as well. I checked out a little of your stuff. I'll have to put a link in the comments later. Definitely enjoyed it. And glad to have you today as always. Thank you. Britt, you're up. I think you have a really interesting story. <laughs> I mean, kind of, I guess. <laughs> uh, I'm Britt Tusink, uh, founder and head brewer at Frameship Fermentation. We're currently uh, gypsy brewing as COVID <laughs> happened right as we were about to sign our lease. And we decided to take another year or so and just do some gypsy brewing around the Southeast. Um, we'll be opening 2023 is the fingers crossed now up in, uh, LJ, Georgia in the little Appalachian foothills up there. Um, so I was a touring musician from when I was 17 till I was 26. Uh, I played in anything from like gypsy punk bands to art pop to my, I guess my greatest success was with my band Dead Cat, which was a noise pop band. And then finished my music playing, kind of just doing like a hired gun bass playing for a nationally touring hip hop act. Uh, and then beer just took over, kind of. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't really do music as much anymore. What hip hop act did you tour with? Uh, so it started as Lee Harvey Oswald, but then it's called The Difference Machine. They're a underground hip hop act from Atlanta. That's awesome. I bet you have some good stories from the road. Yeah, <laughs> we might dive into them in a little bit. But well, Mike, your turn. Yeah, so my name's Mike Lockatour. I own um, or one of the owners of Broken Goblet. We are a kind of hybrid music venue brewery just outside of Philadelphia. Um, I have a interest, like kind of a weird, weird path to music. Um, but I was in a in a kind of I guess there's so many subgenres of metal, but I would call yeah. us uh progressive deathcore or metal like metalcore with a kind of a progressive edge and um 
I actually met the other guy that would become the owner. He was a music producer. He was recording an album. So we sort of created and ideated the entire entirety of Broken Goblet after recording my drum tracks over this course of four or five months. Um, and uh, it's funny when you mentioned the outset, the only thing that's hurt worse than beer maybe is the live music industry. And I have both, which sucks. Um, so uh, I was a touring musician. We signed a record deal, um, reasonably substantial one in 2014. And uh, we're immediately shelved, which is how metal goes, uh, which sucks. Um, but we immediately got shelved. And then at that point, we pushed full steam ahead with the, with the, um, uh, with the brewery. And uh, now we kind of cater more to less to metal and more to what our constituents would want, which is decidedly not metal. Uh, but we're sort of like the secret metal brewery that is uh, that does a lot of, you know, singer songwriter Americana type music. Um, and then we can sprinkle in a little obnoxious metal. But we do partner with a lot of bands. Um, we sponsor the De Decibel Metal and Beer Fest where they're principal sponsor um, on the East Coast and work with a lot of metal bands that I kind of made friends with over the years. So it's been cool. But so much synergy between metal and music and brewing. Awesome. I love how you combine both your love. I'm looking forward to hearing about it shortly. Kelly, my man, welcome again. Good to have you again. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Uh, my name is Kelly Quinn. I'm the owner and uh, head brewer here at Brew City Brewing in Sioux City, Iowa. Um, have a good background in music. Started out as a musician, uh, just playing locally, regionally. Um, and that kind of got into... Um, doing a little talent buying um, for some kind of some local uh, festivals here in town. There's a festival called Saturday in the park that I, I, I do some of the talent buying on that. Um, it's a free show here in Sioux city. It gets about 30,000 uh, people every year. I obviously canceled that last year. Um, this year it's kind of on, on the fence. Um, I also uh, own a local uh, music venue called the marquee. Um, here in town. So I, obviously I'm affected by, by music with the whole COVID thing as well. Um, currently I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little talent buying for a uh, 11 amp series in uh, right outside of Des Moines. So I've been pretty busy doing that. And that looks like it's gonna, gonna go ahead and start, uh, I think in June. So um, yeah, um, aside from that, I, I'm still booking a little, uh, little bit. I play some acoustic stuff here and there. I was in my band for about 15 years and yeah, beer kind of took over. So I'm still doing some acoustic stuff around town at uh, breweries, restaurants, just to uh, just just keep it going a little bit. So you're a struggling musician to make ends meet at the brewery. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. No, but you, just playing anymore is just it's just for fun, just to uh, scratch that that itch that I I still might have. You're the first person I've heard mention live music in a while. So you actually have you know bars and restaurants and breweries in your area that are having shows. We do. Um, now the marquee, my, the live music venue I'm a partner in, um, it's been basically just local stuff. Uh, you know, everything is obviously, um, well, everything was at 50% capacity masks and everything. Uh, so it's not like we've been booking anything big. We've been doing a lot of trivia. We kind of turned into a trivia bar rather than a live music venue for about six months. Um, you know, that kind of worked out. We do have an outside patio, so we were doing everything we can outside until the uh, frozen tundra of Iowa hit. So, um, but yeah, yeah, um, right now we're starting to book again. Um, you know, like I said, nothing big, just just trying to just trying to get by right now. 
Awesome. And what's capacity at your club? Uh, 350. Nice. That's a fun mid-sized venue for sure. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Tristan, welcome. Tell everybody a little bit about what you do. Uh, yes, I'm Tristan Brown. Uh, I handle uh, sales for uh, the eastern half of Georgia for Pontoon Brewing down here uh, just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, been with them uh, since last year, actually, which was nice. Before that, um, used to work with Southern Barrel Brewing out of Bluffton, South Carolina, also handling their sales in Georgia. So it's uh, it's been fun. I made a career shift in my mid-30s into the beer industry, which uh, a lot of people said was dumb, but it's been nothing but positive since then, so I can't complain. Um, used to just base my entire life around music pretty much. That's how I kept the lights on. Um, started off young, always playing instruments. My Both my grandparents, my fathers, I should say grandfathers, were uh, in the music industry out in Southern California, where uh, our family's based out of initially. Uh, so it just kind of grew into the family, started going to school for it. Um, I was I was that kid. I don't know if you've seen the movie Detroit Rock City, where the kid's trying to get into a concert. He walks up and just starts grabbing gear and walking in behind the roadies and saying, yeah, I'm with the band. That's me. That's that's pretty much what I was doing in Atlanta for a while, and uh, it was it was scary and fun at the same time. So I just kind of caught the live music bug as a uh, you know teenager and always wanted to to play. So I just pursued that for years and years. Played with tons of bands. Um, toured with some acts. Uh, also did the hired gun thing for quite some time. Sold my soul playing for for music that I wasn't necessarily a fan of. But like I said, it kept uh, food on the table and kept the lights on. So that's all that matters. So eventually, just kind of got tired of like I said selling my soul and coming home at night and doing a, you know, crying game shower just because you're so ugh, not unhappy with the music you're playing. And I uh, uh, just decided to, to, to stick to, to what I know. And that was uh, also drinking beer. Did, had a good job of educating myself with lots of beers when you're on the road in different cities trying new stuff. So I uh, was able to parlay that into what I'm doing today and I uh, haven't looked back. No, I love it. What was the most random band you played with over the years? Oh my God. Um, there was one weekend where I actually, I played bass with a uh, Pentecostal gospel choir, which if you've heard one of those, those bass lines are not too simple. Um, and then the very next night I was playing keys with a country pop um, uh, with a, a little kind of a, a California twang, if you want to call it that to it. And that was a, that, that was an interesting weekend, but it was fun. <laughs> Awesome. Well, glad you're here today. And I told Betsy off air that you were the third member from the pontoon family to join one of these panels. So you're one of ahead of Lady Justice Brewing. So that that is where the little tally marks are right now. <laughs> well, all right. All right. We'll try to keep now, it up then. <laughs> before we get too deep in the conversation, I want to do a quick lightning round. Everybody, what was your last concert you went to before the pandemic began? I know. Don't you miss live music? I, I know I certainly do. Mike, you unmuted first. You get to hop on in. Um, like legit music. We did a um, we did a Life of Agony show. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that band, but uh, we did a Life of Agony show at our at the brewery. And then literally the day before PA shut down, we had a really good Pantera. I said we don't do a lot of metal now, naming too, but we did a we did a really good Pantera cover band that we paid, you know, like a lot of money for. And so I didn't want to cancel it, but you could just like, it's so funny to think back to that moment. That was the night we were expecting 350, maybe 400 people, um, which is our room, like our, our venue cap. And maybe 75 came. I had, you know, I had security there. I had bouncers, every bar, like, you know, it, you just, 
you, we realized within an hour of that night beginning that there was a problem. That was we were about to enter into something really weird. And by the end of that night, like people were like, it was weird. It was surreal. So that was those are the last, you know, cover band and concert we've done. This time last year, I was in Richmond, Virginia for the Craft Beer and Brewing Accelerate New Brewery Workshop. And it was kind of that same awkward vibe. You didn't know whether to hug someone, high five them or just give like an awkward elbow like that. And the world ended like two days later. So final concerts, everybody. Come on. I know some of you went to more music before this all happened. Britt? That's hard for me to think about, but I think it was I saw Sleep. It's a, a stoner metal band uh, at the Variety Playhouse here in Atlanta. It was probably the last one I went to. And I had a broken ankle because <laughs> I thought that I should pick up skateboarding again at age 30. And young enough, but not not young enough to do the same stuff anymore. So um, I would have, that's like, I was thinking about it. I'm like, that's pretty funny that my last show was one where I was just in the raft. Like I had to be like sitting up at the top, like in the, not in the pit or anything like that. But yeah. So sleep was my last one. Nice. I took Tristan my wife on her birthday, uh, surprised her to see her favorite band, uh, Incubus when they were here. Uh, God, I want to say that was in December. Um, uh, had, had joined in a few small local shows kind of, you know, playing like, again, just kind of filling in and doing stuff like that. But that was the last like big event that I was definitely December 2019, uh, 2020 or no, excuse me. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 2019. I'm sorry. Yeah. 2019. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Betsy, how about you? I think the last show I saw was, I think Brittany Howard came through town, oh, Alabama wow. shakes. Yeah. On her solo tour. Um, and then I think the last show I played was probably December, November, December of 2019. Yeah. I bet you can't wait to get back out there. Or yeah, find I just time want to see it. I don't even need out. to play it at this point. I just want to go to a show, you know. 100%. Yeah, all Kelly, music in Denver has been pretty shut down over here, so. Here in Virginia, too. I think the last, uh, the last show, kind of like Mike, uh, we had a show booked at the Marquee. Um, they're called Pet Rock. They're a, uh, this uh, really good 70s uh, tribute band out of Omaha, uh, Nebraska, Kansas City area. Um, they usually pack the place, um, literally almost sell out every time. We have them a couple times a year. Uh, but that night it was just weird. You know, with the 70s, it was an older crowd. Um, we didn't know what to expect. I think we may have gotten about 125 in, which is probably half of what, you know, normally they would pull. Uh, at least half. So yeah, I remember being there, not knowing what, what was looming um, just with everything being shut down. It was a really weird night and I, I distinctly remember it. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing them guys again at full yeah, capacity. Good time the coming soon. I mean, yeah. almost the, the feeling of a crowd is going to overwhelm me and almost scare me a little bit. Just imagine a full arena and like, what is the emotion that makes you feel right now? It's, so unknown. But Britt, I want to bring the conversation to you first because everything you've said today goes so hand in hand. You talked about playing in a gypsy punk band. Now you're a gypsy brewer. I mean, that's the whole DIY do it yourself, you know, attitude right there. You know, what have you taken from your days just playing in every local band possible and touring? How have you applied that to your current life in craft beer? Um, 
Yeah, like the biggest thing I think when we talked in like email is like just like the pure networking side of being in a band because you're, especially with me, Gypsy Brewing right now, that's like the only thing I have. I mean, outside of like boring ass, you guys can attest like investor meetings and shit like that. <laughs> like I'm just like trying to make these connections, you know, and it's kind of like I remember being a younger band and being like, yo, let me get on the show with you. It'll be great. And then you're thinking about the other band, they're like, it would be really great for you, but <laughs> so uh, working those relationships out. We also uh, still for all of our merchandise we upcycle, so we don't buy newly made goods at this point. We just go thrift our asses off, and so all of our merch is completely unique from one. I mean, outside of like random shit that we get made, <laughs> like a couple of the same thing, um, but that's the same thing we took from playing in punk bands in the day was we didn't have enough money to get the shirts. Now it's more of like an ethical sourcing thing. But back then it was like, shit, we're poor. Let's go to Valley Village down on Moreland and <laughs> see how many shirts we can find. And at that point we were still printing, like we'd pay a buddy to get a screen burned of a, like our logo and then do it at the house and uh, dry them in the oven. <laughs> now we actually like, for the brewery, we pay a screen printer, but it's still like our friend who she works in uh, for a local screen press. Um, yeah. So I kind of just feel like it's like that, like guerrilla punk style of just, but I feel like that can apply to like anything brewery related from like the biggest breweries to the smallest ones. It's like this, it's the music community reminds me or the beer community reminds me so much of the music community in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. Do you see yourself taking that approach to t-shirts once you have an official building and start growing the brewery a little bit more? Yeah, I think there will have, I mean, we're already to the point now where it's getting a little daunting for my wife and I to um, get enough. Like, I feel like we just did a run a week and a half ago and we don't have any more. And that was a good, like 200 shirts, which is a good problem. But now I'm like, okay, maybe I need to like, <laughs> pay for like still do some of the upcycling stuff for like, like the really individual, like one-off pieces and stuff. Like, I mean, like I got like a hunting shirt embroidered with bright orange, our logo and shit. Like, like I'll still do stuff like that. But for, as far as the t-shirts, I think it's a, that the, the growth is real. <laughs> so it almost sounds like you're running a clothing company in itself. I can't even imagine having to source 200 different shirts and getting the logos on them and going from there. Well, that's kind of the thing with um, Georgia. We can't, I can't do anything with anything I brew on the pilot system right now. So it's just any, like, that's why we started the gypsy thing. Once we realized we weren't going to be able to get the building. Um, thanks COVID. Uh, shit. Where was I at? I'm sorry. My brain doesn't work. That is quite all right. So I'm going to throw a question out to the group right now. We're talking a little bit about that DIY ethos. How have the four of you also at the table, you know, kind of use that approach to your breweries? I laughed when you said the oven thing, because like the first two years of Lady Justice t-shirts were baked in my business partner's oven. Like we did, we got the screen. It's still sitting in my garage and like every single one. And then, yeah, you have to put it in the oven or else the ink won't set. So, yeah, we did that for sure <laughs> uh for a while and then then we were like yeah we need to start paying somebody to do this professionally <laughs> uh but it worked for a while we didn't cycle we would go like to michael's on if you went to michael's on a holiday like on labor day 
all the blank t-shirts were on sale for like i don't know a dollar and so we let stack them up and those poor ladies at michael's had to ring in every single t-shirt individually <laughs> so yeah that's how we did merch for a long time betsy what else have you taken from the, the whole music side of your life and applied to lady I think it's, yeah i think it's just i mean like the networking you have to know how to talk to people and you have to know how to um, like even sell a product on the fly when you're setting up your merch stand at a show you need to be able to sell that like that's how you make money in the music industry right now is live shows and selling merch um, and and so you have to be kind of a really fast on the fly salesperson and I feel like that really helps in the beer world as well but just knowing how to talk to people and knowing how to connect because um, you know, yeah, beer, I think beer and music are really similar in that people get really passionate about like a, a specific genre of it. And, um, and ju yeah, just being able to hang out. And especially like when you're playing a show and you don't go on stage for another three hours, you got to make friends <laughs> or else you're going to get bored and lonely pretty fast. So, yeah, I think the people skills are for sure a huge crossover there um, with, with what we do with Lady J every day. For sure. Yeah, definitely all about relationships. Tristan, you're nodding your head. What have you taken from your life on the road and taken it to Pontoon? Well, I mean, they, they said kind of a couple of main points. I was just going to bring up that the networking factor is, I mean, it, it's make or break. Uh, it's, it's 100%, in my opinion, a relationship-based industries. Um, uh, so, I mean, that's, you know, uh, it's, it's not for the, uh, for the introverted, uh, needless to say, at least not in my opinion. Uh, but you know, to me, I always looked at it that, uh, you know, as a songwriter and stuff that it was, you know, each song kind of there's specific formulas for them, just like you have recipes for all your beers. There's some that are tried and true that you're going to follow up and you can copy them exactly the way they've been done before. And sure, you might turn out a hit or two, but until you tweak it and give it your own unique factor and your personal, um, you know, pouring what you know into it. And making it your own that's when you really start turning heads and really being like oh this is okay we've seen this this is what matters okay so it's that uh like i said i, I always akin uh songwriting to uh to to beer making as well just because there's so much that goes into it uh and but you really got to give it a go and you know instead of just putting it on paper whoop instead of just putting it on paper and uh and making it happen and see where it takes you because until you start taking risks and doing some cool stuff uh you might just you know get lumped in with the rest yeah, I believe that's definitely accurate. You have to take a risk in both industry because as a musician, you're not going to get out there unless you put yourself out there. Same with beer. You got to have the you know, drive to push forward because it's such a challenging industry to get your foot out there and you get a market share. Definitely. Yeah, you can't, I, love, I love to hear both of your thoughts on you know what you've taken from that DIY approach and taken into the beer industry. I think – this is something we talk about at our spot a lot and with local other breweries, the, the synergy between music, especially being in a band, not just loving music, which I agree with, but being in a band and running a brewery to me were very, very similar in, in, in the following way. When you're, I can only use my, my old perspective, which is metal, which is a very different genre of music than, than others for a number of reasons. But everybody sort of sounds the same. It's hard to be individual. It's hard to stand out when you're in, you know, when you're playing at the BPMs and the distortion and screaming, you know, there's really, you know, you have to figure out ways to make yourself stand out. And the way, the way you get noticed in our genre is you have to look more professional than you actually are. So 
you know, the bands that did better right away were the bands that had really good merch who actually gave a shit about their artwork, maybe paid somebody or knew somebody that could do good, bright, colorful, concise, you know, eye-catching, somewhat controversial artwork. Um, you know, you, you had, you were the band that had 10 different versions of shirts, hoodies, some hats, you know, random shit like that were the bands that did better. The bands that were, um, and somebody already said it, I mean, everybody's kind of said it, were the bands that hustled, that got out, you know, and when you weren't playing, you're, you're walking around and talking to people. All that stuff, when we started our brewery, it immediately made us stand out a little bit because, and, you, and I'm sure you guys can, can appreciate this, you might see a new brewery pop it up and you see their logo appear on a, you know, some Facebook page and you're like, oh man, like somebody needs to tell them that they need to get somebody to draw that or, you know, that, that, that can't go on a shirt. You can't do that. It's, it's the same in music. You know, you, we, we, we found that, that, you know, you needed to, to really look like you were almost bigger and better than you actually were not necessarily fake it till you make it, but just look like you had a, an aspiring goal. That's what gets labels to notice you in our genre. Um, that's what helps you to stand out. And I think that that crossover to, to brewing is really important. So the places like that have, like Britt said, the unique, uh, that have the unique one-off kind of merchandise is huge or have a cool glass or have a cool aesthetic. All that stuff to me is, is a direct crossover from being in music. And I sometimes worry about those that not, not that they're not going to be awesome, but you sometimes, you know, somebody just starts a brewery and you can tell right away that they're going to need some help to grow into their branding and their marketing. Whereas all us band people are like, all right, let's do this. We know exactly what we need, exactly what has to, you know, what's going to sell, what kind of merch, what do we have to say? What do we have to do? Uh, music has, has get provided us with that basis. I swear by it. And I, I tell everybody in that, are, that are in bands, my friends, like if you really want to do something, start, don't do it. But if you really want to start a brewery, but don't start a brewery, nobody open a brewery anymore. But if you want to, musicians are good at it. No, I can definitely agree to that. We're going to dive back into those points you made in a minute, Mike. I have some really good you know, thoughts and questions for you. But Kelly, your turn. Uh, you know, you, all you guys actually hit on some pretty good points. Um, you know, especially my band that, you know, played for, for what I'd say about 15 years here locally, regionally. Uh, you know, we did a lot of covers. We, you know, we weren't a, a touring act or a signed act or anything like that. We were, we were pretty popular. Um and I think getting to that, just being popular, was was about marketing. It's it's the way we pushed ourselves. We, you know, mm -hmm. uh, selling merch. You know, in between um, in between sets, talking to people. You know, that's the, you know pushing our, our brand. Uh, you know, just trying to be, um, just trying to be people. You know, good people. You know, it's it, that's what got them coming back to us, not just the music, you know, they liked us as, as people too. So I think just kind of networking, uh, being people person, um, you know, playing the crowd, you know, as a cover band, you got to know what to play, you know, it's same thing with beer, you know, what's, what kind of crowd do we have coming up here at Bruce city, you know, in, in our town, you know, where we, you know, where our beer drinkers are, what, what types of beer It's kind of the same as what types of song is, are they going to like, you know, it's, um, you know, I can't just brew stuff what I like, you know, you get, you got to kind of play the crowd and um, yeah, just it, the whole networking thing was really easy for me uh, when we started Brew City. Um, 
just I, I thought branding was was as big as the beer right away, and I, I still do think that in craft beer. Um, and you know that's the same as when I was in a band playing music. Um, you know our our band was not the best in town, but we we knew how to how to brand it, and we uh, you know we, we knew what how to bring people how to keep them coming back to our shows. So and that storytelling marketing branding approach is so valuable yeah both in music and both crappier like mike like you mentioned to fake it till you make it be more professional than you are put out that image that you want to radiate now i want to tie that into what brit mentioned you know you took the punk rock approach brit and you would go to the thrift stores you buy the t-shirts you'd go the low budget route when do you have to make the decision to go from that approach to mike's approach of you know Hey, look, we got to, you know, get our stuff together and be a little more professional, be a little more organized. When do you kind of make that decision in the life cycle of a brewery or a band that you want to take it to the next level? Um, I think really the only issue I'm running into is like sourcing them and like sourcing like quality stuff. Um, but I don't think there's a. Like, so like we did the whole route of like uh, pay a designer, like do like the. Like, so our designs are top notch, our branding package, everything is tied together. Um, and then our screen printing is now from like just a screen, a print, a screen printer at someone's house. So I wouldn't say we're still on it like, cause I'm not doing them in the kitchen anymore. Like that's not, a thing. so what, when that happened, I guess was just, I don't know when it, it, it became too much of a thing to do, but had you already decided at that point in time? Had you decided at that point in time you were really looking forward to growing this brewery and just becoming more um, a greater brand versus just doing Gypsy Brewing? Yeah, so I guess that was seven years ago. I guess I started on Frameshift. It wasn't always called Frameshift. Um, I was just working and brewing at local breweries here in Georgia, and was shift brewing is the worst to me or it broke me a little bit <laughs> after brewing like triple batches of the same beer <laughs> for enough years. I was like, I'm good and wanted to go a lot, uh, a lot smaller route, but it has been a long harrowing process. But I guess that can kind of speak to that. Like in the beginning is when we were doing like the home printed shirts. Um, but we had like some logo that like I had made on my phone that other people were like, Oh, this, why would you change that? I'm like, because uh, I, I guess I do like long-term sours and wild ales is my stick. So I'm like, these beers take like at least a year to finish. And I'm using like all fresh fruit and all this shit. And I have a logo to represent the beer that's, I sat on the couch years and years ago and was like, I need a logo here. Let's go. Um, but yeah, I don't really know when the turning point really was, I guess to now with 20 or 2021 is really a year we're doing, I think 12, uh, brewing with 12 different breweries around the Southeast. So it's like this, like finding the shirts kind of broke on this last run. Cause I'm like, we just went through the process and I'm, and y'all know how this is. I have like two three xls and one extra small left of the t-shirts and i'm like we just did the stressful thing because you can't just like go to one thrift store and find everything you need it's like a couple weeks or I, we could do about a week process of driving around and then it's like then you get them printed and you're like 
well, shit, this one has armpit stains on it, or this one has a hole in it. We're like, so we not sell those, but they got through the, like you paid to have them printed at that point. Um, yeah. It sounds like you're talking about when it becomes more than, more comes to a business as opposed to a hobby. Yes. Cool. Betsy, what what about Lady Justice? Because you took a very similar approach with your merchandise and we don't need to focus much more on merchandise, but when did you feel that, you know, your brewery has become more than a hobby and you took it to the next level of like, oh man, we've actually got something special here. We need to get more organized. We need to become more of a business. Yeah. And that's, those things happen like brewery went this way, music went this way. And where that intersected was when I had to decide which one I was going to do. Because the same thing in the brewing world, your music industry, like your music career is all based off of you like busting your ass all day, every day and making those connections. And you're having to um, book the shows and then you have to, you know, you're writing and recording and you're doing all sorts of stuff. So like to record an album, you need to start working on how you're going to or how you're going to release that. Like that's going to that could take you you need to start planning like a year in advance of the release if you really want to do it right, you know? And so, um, so for me, it was like when Lady Justice started ramping up is when I had to say, um, I had to like take a step back from music because I didn't have time. And that, I think that's really what it is. Like your ability to put your resources wholeheartedly into something and start seeing a return on it. You have to keep working on that return or else it's just going to fall apart. And so, um, so for Lady Jays, we, kept growing and growing uh like we started in a tiny little 300 square foot space one and a half barrel system and it really is you can parallel this with like a growing band like you get a few fans some more people come to the show and some more people come to the show and you're like crap i can't fit these people in this venue anymore we need to go somewhere else you find something a little bigger and more people keep showing up and so for us it was just that um, our physical space wasn't big enough. And then, um, and then when we moved into the new spot, we rebranded too. So it was just a, it was a way to mark that like, Hey, you know, we're finally at this place that we've been working towards for the last three or four years. And this is who we want to be. And this is what we want to grow into. Um, yeah. So I see like it, for me, it was like a complete parallel path, but like going the opposite direction of my music career. And, and in music, like once I stopped having time to go to shows like local shows and see all my music friends, I stopped getting booked for a lot of um, shows. Right. So like I used to not have to work at all to book. Uh, people were just booking me for whatever. And as soon as I stopped having time to like show up and be a part of the community, those those shows, you know, got fewer and fewer. And I was like, OK, like I can only spend time. <laughs> either uh, on one thing or the other. Um, so I think it's just a matter of where your resources are and how much energy you want to put into it. Because once you start investing that time and that money, like you have to, you have to do it. Like, like you're going to see results and you, you're going to have to keep working on it. Um, so yeah, that's when I think it stops becoming a hobby and it really starts becoming like a, a really serious um, project or career or whatever. And it definitely takes a lot of time, money, and effort to stay top of mind, whether you're a musician or a brewery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very similar, I think, um, for sure. But yeah, any musician is essentially running their own small business. That's not how it's like marketed because that's super lame, <laughs> right? Like that's not like 
it's not rock and roll to be like, look at my small business known as my band, <laughs> but that's what it is. Yeah, I think there's definitely parallels along that angle because no musician, like you said, wants to think about what they're doing as running a business. But at some point in time, they're going to need help. They're going to have to find that screen printer when they need more T-shirts. They might find the booking agent. They might need to find a record label. You know, Mike, I want to turn the conversation to you in a sec because you did have your band signed to a record label. And, you know, in the music world, especially like the punk rock world, I don't know so much about the metal world, but when you signed to a label, was that the goal or did it feel more so like selling out? No, no. Good. <laughs> I, I, I am, uh, no, the, the selling, the whole concept of selling out is just, it, it's a, it's, 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 I think it's ridiculous. I'm just going to, just going to say that. And I might even translate that to the brewing industry as well, but that, that's a conversation for another day. I mean, we're doing stuff. Yes. For, for good reasons and, and ethical and moral and family and friends and stuff, but also it's nice to, you know, somehow get paid for your, hard work and stuff, or at least feel some level of success. Um, it's funny, Betsy, you mentioned business. Uh, we LLC'd our band when we formed it. And we told every local band in the area, now all the local bands started to LLC, you know, when I was trying to explain this, because I'm older, so I'm in metal and I'm in like, I'm like my mid, now I'm older, older, but mid thirties and I'm in a metal band with all these teenagers and I'm like the dad explaining to them in the shitty green room, you know, how to what why LLC in your band is important. But to answer your question, uh, no, I don't, you know, selling out was not a thing. But the goal, you know, I, I always wanted to say that I got signed to a record deal. That was a thing I, you know, it was like, you know, your bucket list. I had no aspirations to tour the world. Um, I hadn't I had been through the genre with friends, you know, uh, we recorded in Richmond um, at a place where Lamb of God, a big band, did recording. So we had the opportunity to, to, to learn a bit from them. And we, we were connected to a lot of, you know, bigger bands in our genre. And you're like, when you guys aren't touring, they're doing construction, they're selling candles with their wife. They're, you know, there, there is no glory or glamor in my genre of music, unless you have reached a level like the Lamb of God and probably above that. And, you know, and even now there's so many bands, just like there's so many breweries, it's hard to be successful. So from a, from a record label deal, no, I had never had any aspirations to go any further than to sign it. I didn't want to get shelved. What we did is we, we, play, we groomed all these other musicians to be like, there was a drummer, a backup to me, and then there was a backup to him. There was two bass players. There was four guitarists in our band and everybody could fill in. So they would go out on a tour of the South, you know, Southeast with three different members than the band photo or the video. It didn't matter because we just wanted to be able to say we did it. It's just that when we got immediately shelved by this label after signing a pretty good deal, um, I was like, crap. You know, and my friends remind me, they're like, dude, you always said you just wanted to say you did it. Now move on with your brewery. And I'm like, yeah, I did. But, you know, that sucks to be put up, you know, like, oh, guys, I want to sign you. And now no one's ever going to hear your music ever again, ever. Like, that's kind of where, where we were. So. Uh, no, you know, I, I would never tell anybody to go try and get a record deal, especially not in metal. It's not lucrative. And I would probably tell people to never get a record deal, period. Just do it independent, sell your shit yourself, maintain all your rights yourself. Um, and we're, we're a textbook example of it. So, but if someone, another label came and said they wanted to pay me a, a lot of money, I'm doing it. 
<laughs> I love it, Mike. Thanks for that. Now, I want to go back to one thing you said as well. Lamb of God, you mentioned that everybody has side hustles as well, even some of these touring metal musicians. Lamb of God actually got into the beer world. Did you know about that? I do. Yeah, they did a non-alcoholic beer because Randy's non-alcoholic, yeah. Yeah, they did a partnership with um, BrewDog. Yeah. They called it Ghost Walker. So that, that was pretty neat when you see like all the musicians getting the, the beer game. We had it, and we I thought it was pretty good. I mean, uh, for for a non-alcoholic beer, I was I, I would drink it again and not and not freak out about it. But again, yeah, great. I had it, but I liked it for sure. Everything about it was good, so it appealed to multiple people, just like everybody's been saying. Were you all at GA that year that Hanson was there? Do you all remember? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was like one of the one of those Hanson brothers bought into a brewery. And yeah. he went to GABF one year, and the line at that booth was like so far down the little corridor just because people, <laughs> I don't even know which one, I don't know their names, but like the one in the middle was there, and like people just lost their minds over that. <laughs> Betsy, you're the one who brought it up, and the conversation is just getting good. What was the name of the beer? Oh, I have no idea. It's, a, it's, a, it's in Oklahoma. It's some Oklahoma City brewery that they oh, own. Um, they started it. Uh, as I guess like another business because Hanson's only going to get you so far after like <laughs> 2002 but like yeah he was there and everybody just like they just flipped that was probably in 20 um maybe 2012 2013 they should have called yeah. it hop instead of they, 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 <laughs> actually, they called it mm hops I didn't want to be the one to say it but that is literally what they called it and they still have a website up right now with like six different be uh, beers on it. So, you know, the five of you may need to reach out for a collaboration. I, I would wow. greatly support that. We're good. Yeah. Now, let's go back to the days when you were all first probably starting your, your band, your solo acts. You know, like we have Facebook right now, I imagine the five of you were probably fairly active on MySpace. Is that a fair assumption to make? I'm not judging you by your age. I'm just saying that's probably what we all grew up on. You'd get the post out there announcing all your shows. I think MySpace was actually a really good primer for the social media marketing that we do on Facebook now. I mean, you just tried to add as many friends as possible. That way they could see your bulletins. They call them bulletins, right? Yeah, I, I think that's what it was. When you first yeah, got it was on the left there. of the screen. I remember it. We paid I, I used to like how you could have your five like songs. Like I had a business page essentially on MySpace for my promotions company, and I have five featured songs from you know the, the bands I had coming up. You know. I guess if you were to correspond that to the craft beer industry, it's like listing your top five, you know, beers on draft on your website. We we paid somebody a thousand bucks to code the side of our MySpace page. Remember how you could do that? Yeah. So yep. like header and then the side. We paid them a thousand bucks to do this. And I remember when we when we thought we had to move to Facebook, I was so fucking mad because I'm like, <laughs> you can't make any like all we have is a picture at the top. We can't code the side with blood dripping down or whatever the hell else we want to do. I, I, re I remember that. I still have all the other files. And I'm like, we, like why we paid somebody $1,000 to do that? But boy, what a business. I just, I just ran across I just ran across some uh, – uh, I was going through some old boxes in my garage and just came across a bunch of old koozies that said, Kelly uh, Quinn Band, um, check us out on MySpace. And me and my wife just—we were just laughing our asses off on that. And I said, "Hide those. I don't want people to know how old, how old I am." 
Tristan, what about you? Anything you've learned from your days on MySpace? Oh, God. Um, yeah, keep internal business internal. Uh, <laughs> no, no need to – I mean, God, yeah. It was uh, – I mean, it's, it's taking me back now. We were talking kind of like uh, going back to what Mike was saying. Uh, we were just kind of – one of the bands I was in was just really peaking and getting some national attention right when um, – MySpace was kind of blowing up and uh, you know, we kind of used that uh, to, you know, our, our goal was, Oh, we're going to get a record deal out of this where it's going to happen. And we used some connections uh, somehow magically had one of our songs licensed on an HBO commercial, which really opened a lot of doors. Uh, but the same thing, almost identical to what Mike said, it, this was like 2002. I'm old 2001. And um, you know, uh, they bought us up and we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And we immediately got shelved and uh, they were like, you know, well, yeah, this is, it sounds good. We're just, we don't think, um, you know, your sound is quite there yet. And I was like, well, why did you sign us then? So what else are you working on? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. This one's not quite radio friendly. Like, well then what, what, okay, whatever you say, boss. But um, yeah, that was, those were frustrating times, but MySpace did allow us, I mean, without a doubt, to hit up more people than we ever could have on our own. We were getting radio play in places like, you know, North Dakota and Montana and stuff like that. And that would have, no, there's no way we would have ever been able to break into those markets just by our word of mouth and from Atlanta or anything like that. In some you aspects, could even argue MySpace. that, like, MySpace was, like, it's a, it was actually a really good format. Like, you could put your songs up. With no bullshit, you just did it. You just uploaded it. You can get immediate feedback directly on that page by it. And like you were saying, like you were, people were listening, and you you get mm. booked just from putting. I remember like putting like two or three new songs up one day, and then like the next day, I got booked for some like big ass show from somebody I'd never heard of before, and I was like, what the hell is it? You know, and that doesn't happen anymore. I don't think. I don't think like a independent musician has that kind of freedom to just like. You can't just upload to Apple Music and to Spotify, and, you know, <clears throat> and have that. And Facebook doesn't have the format to be able to play music in that way anyway. So, I don't know. I actually, I would, I wouldn't hate a resurgence of MySpace <laughs> coming back. What was it? The the real media player? Is that is that yeah. what it was? <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. It was just like a really simple plugin. It was so easy yep. for somebody to do, be able to do it on a DIY scale. And as a concert promoter in those days, I know I could just scroll MySpace and find the bands and artists with the most fans and book them from a, for a show. And every now and then you'd get the band that was like three or four, you know, 14 year old kids that had like 3000 fans. I'm like, well, I'll give them a chance. I'll book them. And you only have five people show up. I guess that's the equivalent of like fake followers that we get on like Instagram and sites like that these days. But, you know, it was a pretty good guide for both the promoter and the musician to see who's really putting the work in to get their following out there. You know, kind of looking at how the five of you do beer releases these days, what have you taken from those days promoting your shows and applied to music? Well, we, uh, I know here at Pontoon, we like to hit them, uh, hit them fast and hit them hard. Uh, we do, uh, you know, just kind of like dropping a new single every other week for the most part. Um, you know, we put out four, sometimes five uh, limited offerings every single month, um, kind of always rotating stuff in and out, different styles. Uh, just to keep it fresh. And, uh, you know, uh, that's kind of gained, or uh, I should say, um, helped our following big time in Atlanta. Uh, just because the amount of beards and snobs in the city that don't want to drink 
a beer more than once, regardless of how good it is. Uh, that's you know kind of helped us out in that you know the the your hit singles are going to be awesome, but eventually they might fade away. But we're uh, I know down here throwing as much as we can at guys and gals. I think teasers too. We tease. I mean, as a band, it's like here's here's a teaser. Here's a thirty second teaser for a video. Here's a snippet of a song. You know, you cut it right when it's about to hit, so everybody's like ah, and then it just shows. You know, coming soon. We do the same thing with beer releases. I'll take a logo and only show a little tiny bit of it, and everything else is is uh you know blurry and i'll write you know hashtag soon or whatever like we treat it we tease and tease and tease we tease teases and and that seems to build hype around a release so then when it finally comes out you know it it has a little it might hit a little bit harder now mike at your brewery because you do have live music have you done any like music and beer pairings i mean we uh you mean working with bands or yeah, you know, you know, have like a certain band to do a collaboration beer with them as part of show promotion and release it that night or anything along those lines. What we do, so we because we have a venue, you know, we y'all y'all who have that, I think Kelly especially talking about it, like the 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 pain and the trials and tribulations of booking a room is tough. So, but one of the things that we've been doing is we've been uh, uh, telling bands, you know, to, uh, this is pre-COVID because we really haven't done any major bands since COVID hit, but. Um, Pick, pick one beer that's on tap. Um, we're not necessarily going to rename it because of the untapped hell that that will cause, but <laughs> pick one beer that's on tap, push it on your social channels, and then we will give you a percentage of the beer sales of that beer. We'll give you a dollar a pint for that. And so what it does for us is the one, it can offset um, some of the guarantee that we have to pay because we can offer a lower guarantee for an unknown commodity band, but then they have the opportunity to make more. And we even add escalators that if you bring a certain number of people, but then two, you know, it, it does add another channel for people to not just say, Hey, we got a show at Goblet coming up next week. It's, Hey, you know, what do y'all think of this beer? We've got this, you know, there's this Amber, there's this IPA, you know, come and see our show and make sure you order this beer, you know, because we're, we're doing a promotion with it. So that that's helped a good bit. And then just generally having, relationships with bands and doing collaborations, something that, you know, we're, we're pretty, pretty on top of. We just did one with a band called Unearthed out of Boston and raised a couple grand for ACLU. And we're going to do some more, um, some more stuff like that, but bands are always, and we, and we're also using our venue to shoot music videos now too. So because we can't have a lot of people there, we give them our stage and our light rig and everything and sound and then let them come in. So a lot of these bands that are doing um, like, uh, I forget what you want to call it, but you know, it's live streams of 10 different bands and you have to sit, you know, put a video into it. These bands are doing the video at our spot. So again, it's more promotion because they're mentioning broken goblet, you know, it's branded, obviously there's cans around the stage and stuff. So that's, that's also been cool to get the name out into a different channel. That's super great. Now, Kelly, oh, how about you, Betsy? We'll come to you next Kelly. Cause you also run a music venue. You know, how have you taken your marketing skills from those early days of booking your band to, pushing it into the craft beer world and using it for your venues. Uh, you have a lot of synergies going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you know, we have worked with a lot of the, the local uh, music community. Um, uh, we just did a, um, a local band called ghost cat. They wanted to have their own beer, you know, uh, a Bruce city collab. So we did a beer called impending bloom, which is the name of their album release. So it was a, it was actually a, a, a hibiscus IPA. Um, We've done, you know, we worked with a local hip hop group, did a beer for them. Um, 
for uh, the, that big festival Saturday in the park, we actually did a beer called Citra Day in the Park, which is just kind of a session IPA with uh, with with all Citra. Um, so just working with with you know the local music scene um, as much as we can here, uh, you, you know, it's it's definitely you know one way to stay, you know, uh, to tie in our beer with with music here in Sioux City. Um, so yeah. Um, did I, did I hit your question? <laughs> you did. Betsy, I know did you have something you want to add to that one. Oh yeah. I mean, we've done collabs with bands. Um, that's something we've pretty much always done. And we did one right at, uh, maybe April or May last year, a musician here in Denver, she, she released, she released an album and leading up to the album release, uh, she dropped a single and the way that you got the single was by buying a can of the lager that we did. We did an IPL collab with her. And so you had to scan the the code to download her song was on our can. And so you had to buy the can in order to get her to get her song. And so, um, yeah, she wrote some goofy little rap about scanning the can to get the jam or something like that. I don't know. She, she had fun with it. But yeah, so uh, we've collaborated with Denver musicians pretty much since day one. And it's it's a really great way to have that intersectionality, but you get their fans and then they get yours. And so it just opens up a whole new um, avenue and audience to to get your product out to people and vice versa for those musicians to, to gain some new fans. That's a fantastic idea. Did you do it before QR codes were cool? Yeah, I think we're QR code school in April of 2020. <laughs> if not, then yeah. I didn't know how to use a QR code until this last August. Come on yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Now, we've talked a lot about, you know, the concepts you've taken from the music industry, applied to craft beer. Are there any concepts or advice that we really haven't dove into today that you believe we should be taking from the music industry and applying to craft beer as the industry continues to grow? Any unique ideas or things you've wanted to try for a while or just advice for other brewers for those tactics that, you know, you have used from your music days into your industry days in craft beer? We got a lot better at handling reviews because of being in a band. So we, we were more equipped to handle all, all that stuff when, you know, you, you spend a year of your life writing something and then some kid is like, dude, you know, too many references to video games. These guys suck. Like that, you learn how to handle. I I learned how to handle the the reviews. So I don't know that if that's maybe that's a course that can be ta can be taught. Like ask a musician how they handle bad reviews to manage your untapped. I don't know. Well, yeah, that's right. I mean, you're not going to please everybody. Anyone else have any suggestions for the career in the future? Pitching, having to pitch my band all the time and pitch ideas and do this and that. I know it kind of applies more to the sales side, but it just, it definitely prepared me uh, in that, you know, uh, the motto I kind of ascribe to that my dad, who was an old school salesman, told me is that, you know, every no in life is going to get you that much closer to a yes. And I know it's cliche, but uh, that's definitely something that I, I carried over and have applied in definitely in both music and beer. So looking at the state of craft beer today, we see so many collaborations take place. And I know we've mentioned the Hanson Brothers mm hops, which is you know entertaining to say the least. Has anybody actually tried it? Yeah, I, I didn't think so. Maybe someday. But either way, you know, if the five of you had that opportunity to collaborate with any artists of your choice, of your dreams, living, dead, doesn't matter, who would that 
artist B you'd want to do a beer music collaboration with? Tool, 100%. Have you reached out, Mike? Yes. But we, we no. want to... We want to put a beer in one of Maynard's, the singer's wine barrels, because he has a winery, and then do a collab with with Tool. But that that would be our dream. Not going to happen. Have you gotten any responses at all? No, no. I mean, we got a response from the from the winery. You know, a PR rep for the winery that was like, uh, "No, you know, we're, thank you for the, you know, we're not really interested." But the irony of this is that then uh, I won't go into the story. But we've heard from them in other ways that make no sense, but yet they don't respond to this. So it's okay though. We still love them, but I would keep reaching out because one thing I've learned from the beer industry, you can shoot the biggest name in email and worst case, you someday might get a response. Worst case scenario. Kelly, you seem pretty excited about this one too. Who's your dream collab? Uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's a, actually a tough question. Uh, you know, I'm a big Helmet fan. I'm a big fan of uh, um, Helmet. I've had them to my venue a couple times, met the guys. Uh, we actually keep in contact. They're... Uh, Super good dudes. Um, I love to do something uh, for those guys. Uh, you know, we're we're pretty small here as an Ann Brewery, so I'm, I'm sure they would wouldn't be super interested. But um, you know, I, I think that would be cool. I did actually do a collab. There's a guy. Uh, his name's Sean James. Sean James and the Shapeshifters. I actually did a beer. We had a, what's called Brewfest two. Uh, we Brewfest is an annual thing we do here. Um, so the second one, we got him to come headline, and I actually did a shapeshifter uh, um, IPA. Or no, yeah, it was an IPA. So that was pretty cool because I admired him a lot. I, I'm a big fan of his, so we actually did that. Uh, but on a bigger scale, you know, um, yeah, helmet, Pearl Jam, any of, the, any of the old stuff. I grew up playing guitar uh, with all the grunt, Seattle grunt stuff. So um, anything along those lines would, would be a, a – Something I would love to do. Pearl Jam would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Shoot them an email once we get off this call. Do it. <laughs> Tristan, how about you? Uh, well, I mean, the, we're in Atlanta where it's, you know, the, the, the hip-hop scene is just crazy here. Uh, so, I mean, if, if I could pick anyone, it would definitely be Outkast, just with their ties to the city and what they've done for the industry. But I don't think they're really hanging out much anymore these days together. So I uh, might have to pull some magic strings to make that work. Have you already thought about what you would call the beer if you brewed it? Uh, well, there's a lot um, of breweries that have actually already taken some of their song titles locally. Um, there was an oat milk stout recently. Somebody did it called Spody Odie Dopalicious, which is one of their songs. So it's, you know, there have been things like this and that here. Uh, something... Something to the uh, uh, involving the lyric of "cooler than a polar bear's toenail," something like that. But uh, yeah, I haven't, haven't quite got that far yet. <laughs> when I titled this conversation "Stolen from the Music Industry," I didn't intend for it to kind of talk about breweries that have stolen, you know, intellectual property. But I guess that probably <laughs> happens as well. Oh, well, I say you're not well, a true brewery, right? So you get your first cease and desist. There we go. That's a conversation <laughs> for another day. <laughs> Betsy and Britt, you know, ideal collab. I know. Betsy, you mentioned in the chat you reached out to Brandy Carlisle. How'd that go for you? They were actually really nice, and his, her manager was really responsive. Uh, but the winery wasn't into it. But we had that same idea, Mike. Let's just throw our beer into one of your barrels. Um, but yeah, I mean, we. Uh, I have this idea, and I don't know if it'd be cool or not, but just to like pick a musician and blast only their music twenty four 
seven while the beer is fermenting and have like a whole thing around. I think that'd be super fun. And then, you know, see if, see if you could get the artists in, interested. So um, I've got a whole list of like badass female artists that I wanted to slick, you know, this, this beer was fermented by, you know, Lizzo's like sweet jams or something, you know? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I actually spoke to a brewery in planning at the event I was at last year this time. And one of her concepts was to actually play music for the beer as it fermented. It's just, just fun. You know, whether or not it has an impact, I don't know, but it is it a neat idea without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. And Britt, you've had plenty of time to think on this. Yeah, right. uh, I'd say action Bronson, uh, just cause his culinary background is super dope and his cookbook is like, I don't really buy cookbooks, but I bought his and the recipes out of it are, Phenomenal in the way he plays with flavor. So I'd probably want like to. He's already done a collab. He's done one with Stillwater. Oh, of course he has. Well, still, <laughs> that doesn't take him off my list. <laughs> All right. I've like, seen a THC infused beer for some reason. <laughs> but yeah, or, or Towns Van Zant. That'd be sick. If I can do a dead one, I feel like making booze with that. I mean, I might want to do like a whiskey with that dude instead, but. <laughs> yeah. If we're able to like bring musicians back from the dead, like <laughs> possibilities are endless. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. No, this has been fun. I mean, the, the similarities between the music industry and craft beer, besides the pack that's been a rough year, they're just so huge from the marketing to the ideas with regards to like song creation, you know, recipe creation. There's so many synergies and it's been fun to talk about them. And hopefully this time next year, we're actually, you know, listening to some live music together, drinking a beer together in much better time. So I appreciate the five of you sharing, you know, all your experience today. This conversation could go on forever as we like reminisce back to the days of MySpace. But I do believe, you know, a lot of those early days you guys spent trolling the Internet and just trying to get fans to come to those first couple of shows probably really impacted who you are today. So it's fun to think about. I appreciate you sharing all that. And. Betsy, Britt, Mike, Kelly, and Tristan, thank you again, and we'll see everybody soon. Cheers. Peace. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us.